0: Welcome, everybody, to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are the internet's only Texas tennis podcast. You can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at Burn Origination. Dot com. Before we get started today, I'd love to remind you if you like what we do, please leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. You can find us under the Burnt Origination Podcast feed. Share that with your friends wherever you found it, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, tune in, all of the major players in podcasting. My name is Gerald Goodridge. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man who's so excited that the tower is lit, fam, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you?
1: Oh, I'm fantastic, man. I don't speak binary, but one 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 one. That four ones, five ones, ones all around the tower, baby. We're uh, we're bur- burnt orange and blanketed in number ones, which is a beautiful sight on the UT campus. Tower lit orange for the Texas tennis team. I Had a little holiday today. Gee, how was your Memorial Day? Did you get uh, did you get some rays? It was good. Yeah,
0: my wife my wife is already uh, excited that Summer Gerald is here. She thinks I, I get a little little more bronze. In the summer months, and she appreciates that. So uh, we're good to go. Now, had a little, had a little cookout, got, a, got some sun. The kids nice. got to run around in the sprinkler, so that was a good time. Uh, so we've got some football news tonight. Craziness, honestly, in the football world. Men's golf continues its incredible season. Women's golf uh, had another great week, even though it didn't end quite as well as they wanted it to. Got some softball, and we'll have your second edition of some championship microbeer as we down the 40. So let's just, it's very rare, Kyle, that we get to have a super topical opening to this podcast. So let's just dive into that. So this morning, rumors started to circulate. There was some smoke that Texas wide receiver, if I could still call him that, Brew McCoy, uh, Chris N. Trevino of, I believe, 24-7 Sports, was reporting that, Brew McCoy was considering transfer or entering his name, excuse me, into the transfer portal and heading back to the University of Southern California. That smoke continued to uh, bloom throughout the day and the afternoon. And it seems like from all the reports that the name might not be in the transfer portal just yet, but it will be at some point. So I don't know what to make of this. Like, you and I are staunchly in favor of pro-athlete, like, pro-student-athlete in any way, shape, or form. So, like, nothing that we say here is is going to be counter to that. Because, again, right. if a school can sell a jersey with your number on the back, you should be able to do whatever the heck you want to do with your athletic abilities for four years. But. It's just a weird situation, and I feel like this is going to be the banner for everyone who hates the transfer rules, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, for for what o- Ed O'Bannon is to the uh, to the video game industry, I worry that Brew McCoy could be the person who kills like the the transfer, you know, the true collegiate free agency. We'll we'll see, and and if not, like, <laughs> let's remember, like, he may have, you know tweeted biggie i'm going going back back to cali but that doesn't mean anything uh, we, he actually hasn't spoken publicly on it but i mean let's let's not make this decision for the kid once it happens we'll report on that i understand this is topical but we still don't know like there is still the chance that he sits down with Mayringer, he sits down with herman kind of goes over what his role can be this you know year and in the in the ensuing years you know kind of gets sam ellinger talking about the the types of passes he's gonna throw him and he gets excited you know texas is definitively without a doubt the better team at least this year than USC I mean if if he really wants to play for the winner I understand homecoming homesickness whatever Uh, I understand the allure of of the uh the the garnet and gold but uh but yeah I mean it's 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 weird I'm not gonna hate the kid no matter what he does I think it's gonna be one of those like all-time weird footnotes um in in college football history because the amount of Things that have never happened before happening. I mean, him transferring to Texas in the first place was already a really weird deal. And now you throw this on top of it, and this is an all-time head-scratcher.
0: Do what's best for you. Football has as short a shelf life as any sport out there. So you got to do what's best for you. But, and I love this kind of weirdness. It's just always awkward when Texas is involved. Like you and I are getting uh, added on some old tweets, exposed, like people trying to put us out there and vengeful Aggies that are still pissed that their recruiting class was sub part of Texas is even without brew McCoy, our burn an orange media us. conspiracy B O M C use the hashtag. Uh, so like, it's just it's just such weird stuff, and you know what? I think it's hilarious. Like at this point, like whatever happens, happens. Yeah, like, Texas isn't hurting in the wide receiver room now. That's not to say Boy right. is an incredible is would not be an incredible addition to the team in any way, shape, or form. Do not hear me saying that. But again, wide receiver Texas has quite a few folks, and again, I want the student athletes to do whatever's best for them. Like when push comes to shove do what's best for you. If you want to be home, if you feel like USC is a better fit, if you're upset about the length of time that the transfer or the waiver process has taken, like whatever, like do what's best for you. I'm, I'm fine with it. Like, that's what you need to do. It is your life. I'm not here to, uh, to legislate anybody else's choices.
1: Yeah. And I mean, at, at the end of the day, like I said, we'll, we'll, we'll never, you know, hate the kid. I, I might, uh, if we do meet up with USC again, you know, hope that he gets dunked on, but that's just, you know, that's good old college football, uh, rivalry. If, if you transfer out of the school and, in, you know, any way that, that, that isn't, uh, as a fan fortuitous to my team, I might root for, for the dunking upon you, but yeah, I'm not going to, I'm not going to wish ill will or anything, but you know, from a Texas football perspective, where this stands, you can go back actually last week, I believe, or two weeks ago, it was when we did our wide receiver preview and listen, uh, you know, when we did our positional breakdown, it wasn't though as we, we focused the whole thing around brew McCoy. we certainly talked about his potential and his upside and what he can bring to the program, you know, in the coming years. Um, if not, you know, somewhat this year immediately, but that's, that's, you never want to lose a player that good, but if it has to happen, I mean, thankfully wide receiver is the place that at least we have a little bit of wiggle room, at least this year. Um, And as we kind of go out that, that does probably refocus the way we recruit this year. You know, we have one more five-star set of, set of boots to fill um, on, on this next recruiting trail. So, I mean, not not that it's a, uh, it's a death knell of any kind.
0: No, not, not in the slightest bit. And again, I, I'm still excited and, Brew McCoy is an athlete that I want to see play. So wherever he's going to see the field and whatever's best for him, do it fam again. Wish it was in the burnt orange and the icy whites, but you know what? If home is calling, then home is calling and I cannot be mad at you for that. And so now we will kick off our season preview. I cannot believe we are already there. We are like 98 days from kickoff. So we will start off just like the Texas Longhorns will with Louisiana Tech, And we have the privilege of having Tanner Spearman from Underdog Dynasty on to talk a little Bulldog football. Tanner, how are you doing today? Doing good. How are you? You know, I think we're going to make it. I think we're doing all right. So I guess we'll start where it seems like we start every one of these interviews dating back to uh, last offseason. The quarterback position. So uh, Louisiana Tech, their passing attack was was pretty potent last year. They're bringing back a quarterback and uh, Jamar Smith. And his top target, Adrian Hardy. So there was a like 3,000 yard plus performance last year. So, how does Smith either replicate or build on that for 2019?
2: Well, that's one of the big questions that I have because, you know, the numbers can be deceiving sometimes because there were, he had good games, he had good performances, he also had some questionable ones. And a lot of times, where he had receivers bailing him out a few times, because I can think of a couple of different path, uh, catches last year where the receiver just made a tremendous catch. One of them against North Texas ended up on you got mossed on NFL Countdown. That was that good of a catch, but the reason it was that good of a catch is because it wasn't a very good throw. So, you know, and I don't want to say that he's a bad quarterback because he's had good, good performances. It's just consistency has been a big issue, and trying to replicate. I've the Hawaii Bowl at the end of last year comes to mind where. The offense had three, I think, three turnovers in the first half. One wasn't his fault, but one was an interception. One was he fumbled. But then the second half, they scored three points in the first half. They turned around the second half and scored 28 points with no turnovers. So it's finding a way to be consistent through an entire game, throughout an entire season. If he can find a way to do that, then I think this offense can t- take the next step. Uh, part, you mentioned, uh, I think Adrian Hardy's coming back. That's always helpful to have your top receiver coming back. Um, and also, uh, Alfred Smith, who was one of the top four receivers is bad, but there are some key losses in Teddy Veal, who was the second receiver last year, but the year before he was the top receiver. And then Rashid Bonnet is also uh, the part of the team who was the other of the top four and the quarterbacks coach, Tim Rattay, who has done a really good job. He's gone off to take a job in the NFL. So it's a lot of, you know, I just don't know what's going to, what it's going to look like next year. They're not hiring a new quarterback's coach. They're just letting the offensive coordinator take over that role. Yeah. So it's kind of a we'll see kind of situation. I think that the expectations a lot of us had for Jamar Smith, he didn't live up to those. But to be fair to him, his last two years, he was a sophomore and a junior, taking over after three straight years with a senior quarterback. So maybe it's just not fair to expect him to live up to that standard. So we'll just have to see what he can do this year.
1: And there's a, there's a couple nuggets in there. I had no idea actually that Tim Ritchie was the quarterback's coach. He'll now be coaching uh, Colt McCoy at the the Washington Redskins. Um, I believe that's where he went. Um, so that's fantastic. I know he's a legend down there, but uh, you, you mentioned a name, and this is just, you know, I, I like to have a good time on this show. You, you mentioned the number two receiver who they're replacing. And, of course, 25% of the catches, you know, you have to account for. But more importantly um, – is there anyone ready to step up and replace him as, say, the uh, guy who sounds like he was whacked on an episode of The Sopranos?
2: Well, <laughs> I, well I d- Alfred, Alfred Smith's nickname is Tarzan, so I don't know if that—that's
1: not bad. That's not be bad. Be a good
2: mob nickname for sure. So, I mean, <laughs> go with that.
1: As long as you don't look like uh, Tarzan, play like Jane.
2: <laughs> exactly. Now he's been—he's been pretty. He hasn't been like. A top receiver necessarily but he's been a good you know second tier wide receiver so far
0: so you mentioned a couple of names when you were kind of going through the the jamar smith piece so who do you really expect to be because if you know hardy is the only guy then hey let's bracket him So like who's the guy to help take some pressure off of hardy and kind of open things up a little bit
2: well i i think tarzan is one of those guys who's going to have to step up uh you know he's He's a junior by eligibility, but he did have a year that he lost to a, a medical to an injury, so he medically redshirted that year. So he's got a little bit of seniority, a little bit of experience uh, in the offense. So I'd like to see him have more production because when you look at his numbers, you know they were decent, they weren't great. He's only like two, three hundred yards a year. I'd like to see him step up and kind of fill in that number two spot, especially with you know the other guy is gone. Um, if it's not going to be him, maybe someone like George Scott, who is just kind of a a name you hear maybe once a game maybe if he can step up or mm. or maybe even one of the running backs maybe you could catch passes out of the backfield but my my guess is it's going to have to be Hardy and Tarzan leading the way
1: and i believe on the running back side you're returning uh both starters from last year right
2: well so it was a kind of a committee thing last year no. uh, about three guys two of them are coming back uh
1: gotcha
2: Cam McKnight was a was a running back in high school converted to wide receiver and then last year went back to running back he's gone But Jaquees Dancy and uh, Israel Tucker are returning. And in my opinion, Jaquees Dancy was the best of the three. He didn't always get used that way. I'd like to see him get more carries. And maybe now that Cam McKnight's gone, that'll happen. But we'll we'll just have to see.
1: His name, for whatever reason, when I was going through the, the depth chart stuck out. I don't know if he had a highlight or something, but his name just sounded familiar. Um, maybe I just like a good name as as evidenced by earlier but uh, so I, I think I think the offense you know is where you bring a lot back the defense you have some some returners for sure um, but you know without a doubt you probably have to you know replace the most talent on that side of the ball obviously you can't have a, a talk about the LaTag defense without talking about uh, Jalen Ferguson you know just I, I'm I'm a Ravens fan so I'm excited I already was doing my research on Jalen Ferguson when uh, when they drafted him. But, you know, you lose the all-time career sack leader. Um, you lose a, you know, defensive coordinator in Blake Baker, who, you know, again, was a UT guy on Manny Diaz's staff at, at, at Texas um, in 2011, 2012. Has that kind of Diaz downhill attacking uh, philosophy. I mean, just from a highest level, and then we can work down, are you, are you, you know, kind of, do you have an idea of what this defense is going to look like is going to be different? I mean, are you just completely new? What do you, what are you seeing from the defensive side of the ball?
2: Well, you know, with Bob Diaco coming in as defensive coordinator, that's a really big question that I have is what's this defense going to look like? Because tech under uh, Blake Baker, tech was using a four, two, five, but uh, Diaco is known for using a three, four. So I'm just wondering, is he going to go with his, what he's comfortable with with the three, four, or is he going to stick with that four-two-five, or maybe even just go in the middle and go with four-three? I I really don't know at this point. Um, I've the only I saw early today a uh, projected depth chart from like a national publication, and they used four-two-five, but maybe that's just because that's what they've been doing. So right. I'm really I'm really going to be interested to see what he goes with, especially because you know I think the weakest point of the defense has been linebacker play over the past few years. So to go from having two on the field to four seems like and it would seem like an interesting move. So I'm just wondering what he's going to do. I did see when he was, you know, during a spring practice, he had an interview with a newspaper locally, the News Star, and he said something about he's more concerned with how the players are playing and how they are executing versus the actual plays themselves. So hmm. that maybe is a tip that he's going to do something the players are more comfortable with cuz he's done a 4-3 before back earlier in his career, but so he, maybe he has some experience with that. So we'll just see. Um, I, don't, I really don't know what to expect under Bob Iaco. Obviously, you do have to find some way to replace Jalen Ferguson. Um, one, I don't know if you can fully replace someone like that or just try to fill in gaps here and there. I am interested to see Willie Baker, though, because in mm. Ferguson, in the last game last year, Ferguson breaks the career sacks record. He's MVP of the Hawaii Bowl. But in that Hawaii Bowl, Willie Baker had more sacks than he did. Willie Baker had, I think, four. So I'm interested to see what he can do now that Ferguson's not going to be there. So I think that's the biggest question because a lot of other guys are back. So I just really want to see what Willie Baker or someone else could do to replace Ferguson.
0: So I think the the other big question, because the Bulldogs have quite a bit of talent at the defensive back position as well. You know, uh Ameek Anderson is a guy that that you have to talk about I think when you have a, a defensive conversation 61 tackles, four interceptions, 12 passes broken up, which just incredible numbers. Um a guy I think flying under the radar a bit because um of the conference that that he plays in. So as far as like where they're going to lean in this transitional period because you said you're not quite sure about the linebackers, you have a lot of talent in the secondary. Like, what do you, what do you see carrying this defense as the players try to learn the coach and the coach is trying to learn the players?
2: Well, I think you always want to look to the players with a lot of experience, and Amik Robertson is one of those players. Um, and you mentioned he kind of flew under the radar. Uh, you know, he's a guy. He's five nine playing cornerback. That's the only reason he's at Louisiana Tech, to be completely honest, because he actually committed to Tech decommitted got an offer from lsu and then ended up signing recommitting to tech and signing with tech skip holtz the head coach at tech actually went on the record saying if amik robertson was taller he'd be starting for an sec defense it's just his height scared a lot of people away and that usually happens whether it's you know power five teams recruiting or the nfl combine nfl teams looking for the draft it's always those measurables they really want to see and he's just he's five nine trying to play cornerbacks so that was why he kind of you know fell under the radar but you know, he's, he's been really good. Uh, he and the other cornerback, LeJarius Sneed, hasn't gotten all, as much hype as Robertson, but he's been really good at that position as well. So, And that's – it's funny because you go back a couple years ago, it was the complete opposite. Tech's defense was terrible in 2016, and now all of a sudden they get a Robertson, they get a, a Sneed, and they get other players, and all of a sudden this defense has really turned it around. Now it's just a matter of, you know, do, are the guys coming back going to be able to continue – what they were able to do with Bob Diako coming in
1: Well and, and I did see some stats on on Robertson specifically that he was he was uh something like you know the only player in the country last year who had uh, whatever the exact number of pass breakups versus uh, tackles for loss. And, and we had a cornerback in Chris Boyd, who was a guy who could, you know, come in and make stops, you know, in the backfield, a really good sure-handed tackler um, as well as a guy who, you know, could, could in coverage. Um, but UT has uh, a guy named Colin Johnson. I'm not sure if you've seen the tape on him. He, he, you know, is effectively a, a, a giant a wound wound, if you will. Um, he, he's very, very tall. Um, and so, so even Big 12 and SEC defenses um, have, have trouble with, with guys that are, you know, relatively quick and that big. Um, do you have a uh, a tall cornerback? Do you have a safety who you think could help with that? Or is that purely a, uh, you know, blanket the giant by committee type situation that we should be
2: looking for? Oh, boy, that's, um, you know, I don't know if there's any guy that's like just a super tall guy that you're going to stick on. No. honestly you're probably just going to have to uh, stick Robertson on them and then maybe give him some safety help because, mm. and, and that's a big issue that group of five teams usually have is the tall guys all go to the power five schools. So right, right. those shorter guys that are really good, but they are short. So it's defending those tall wide receivers that are the issue. And Robertson has had some success, you know, picking off passes intended for taller wide receivers. Mm-hmm. You can't do it against a big 12 caliber uh, wide receiver. Like you described, that's, we're going to, we're just gonna have to see because I'm, <laughs> I mean, he's he's picked off passes against all the receivers that are conference USA receivers. Can he do that? Right. Twelve, we'll have to see. Now he has had success against like Mississippi State or LSU. I remember Mississippi State came to Ruston a couple of years ago. Early in the game, he almost had a pick six. He, he had an interception, just got tackled just short against the the Bulldogs and Nick Fitzgerald.
1: So mm.
2: he's he's done it before. It's but that's Mississippi State's offense. Can he do that against Texas's offense? Will be the question.
0: And as two guys who who ride for Quandre Diggs, we are going to be big amik robertson fans every week but week one basically uh Quandre digs kyle I, I, maybe I, i'm speaking out of turn but one of my top probably five players at the university of texas specifically because he was five nine and played like he was six nine
1: Quandre the giant
0: so i think and you may have hit on it already so what do you think the biggest question mark is then for tech heading into this year is it how the offense has a consistent passing attack. Is it who steps up on defense? It kind of seems like those are the two conflicting forces.
2: Yeah, pretty much. It's will Jamar look any better this year or will he be the same? Uh, How can the running offense look, but also what will that, I really want to know what that defense is going to look like with a new defensive coordinator. So those, those are the questions that I want to see answered. Um, So I'll I'll be really interested to see what lineup they use when they play Texas. um, And can Jamar have a good game? Because I mean, his first start, he almost beat Arkansas on the road. It was a twenty-one twenty loss, and he's also had, uh, you know, a few good games here and there. But, but yeah, it's it, it to me. It's Jamar and the defense under Diaco. Those are my big questions.
1: And and Bob Diaco, you know, obviously had the head coaching stint, but has been a defensive coordinator at some of the you know largest programs in Notre Dame included. Uh, he was actually last year on staff at Oklahoma, so he's had a look at uh, at this Texas team for sure. So he brings obviously some some talent. So I'll be watching that one uh, for sure. But just to to move it up, kind of uh, from the specific level. So both of these teams uh, are coming off of huge bowl wins to kind of cap out. The season obviously beating Hawaii in the Hawaii Bowl always feels unfair, but I guess you get a trip to Hawaii out of it. Um, and and Texas winning uh, the the Sugar Bowl, um, where is the excitement level sitting at? Uh, because you know Texas, it's pretty high. Uh, you know, to be honest, we're we're feeling pretty good. Where is the excitement level at for the for this program coming into the season? And and do you do you feel comfortable giving a wins prediction?
2: You know, the the, the Hawaii Bowl win is nice because you know Tech and Hawaii used to be conference rivals in the old the old whack and tech always struggled with Hawaii. It didn't matter how, how good each team was. Hawaii was just that one team that was always a thorn in the side. And this is actually that bowl win was the first time tech has ever won beaten Hawaii in Hawaii. So that was kind of cool for, you know, the, the old whack rivalry with Mm. that being said, techs won bowl games the past five years, those, you know, Illinois, Arkansas state Navy and SMU before Hawaii. And those are nice. And I think there's a lot of pride about that, but You know how fans are. They always want to see more. They always want to Mm -hmm. see someone take that next step. I think back to Mark Richt at Georgia, how for years and years and years, they were always a consistently good program. They could just never get over that hump. And obviously Skip Holtz hasn't been there for as long, but it's kind of getting to that same thing where Texas won five straight bowl games, but where are the conference championships? Where are the big power five wins? Where's the 10 win seasons? Because they've won nine games, nine games, nine games, seven and eight over the past five years. So it's that, okay, yeah, we're doing good every year. When's the next step going to come? And so I think a lot of people are getting a little bit of, re- a little bit restless uh, thinking about, you know, when's that next, win going to come? And I think a lot of people, we talked about how Moore has struggled some earlier. A lot of people just aren't super optimistic be- about him being the quarterback again. And I don't, I, mean, I don't know. There's no one else. He's a senior. You're not going to replace him with some freshman, but you know, it, it, it's it's interesting. I think there's a, a little bit of trepidation, I guess, about the season. But, you know, week one against Texas, if they can have a good game, maybe that cures some of those those doubts. But, you know, you think about Bill Connolly with SB and his preview series, his description of Louisiana Tech is the best I've ever heard. He said that they're going to win eight or nine games, scare the hell out of a Power 5 team, and peak in bowl season. And that's what Tech has done every year because – They win those bowl games. They win eight or nine games, which is nice. It's not 10. It's not 11. There's no conference championships. And they've come close against power five teams. They've one point lost to Arkansas, one point lost to South Carolina, triple overtime loss to Kansas State. Uh, They were within three points of LSU at one point in the second half last year. I could go on. It's getting over that hump that a lot of fans are wanting to see something like that happen. As far as this game against Texas, Honestly, if this was in 2016, I think Louisiana Tech has a really good chance to win based on where Texas was and where Louisiana Tech was. Now in 2019, I've, Texas looked a lot better last year, and I think that they're going to be just as good this year. Louisiana Tech not looking as good as they have. So it wouldn't, it, honestly, it wouldn't surprise me if this is kind of like a Texas Tulsa game last year where. They, they stay within striking distance. They keep it close, but ultimately lose. That's what they've done. Um, it also wouldn't surprise me too much if they get blown out because I, I have seen like 45-3 to against Mississippi State last year. So it, it's – but you, Mississippi State for some reason always blows out Tech. But other than that, they've had those close calls, even against LSU like I said. So I don't think Tech is going to win. Like I said, if this was a few years ago, I'd have a different opinion. But – I think Texas will win, but don't be surprised if Tech keeps it close for a little while.
1: And and no, no shame in losing to to Mississippi State and Nick Fitzgerald. I think Texas A and M themselves did it like three times, so so don't feel bad about that.
0: And with Texas's <laughs> recent recent rash of season openers, I've got zero confidence going into this game. be really honest with you, we're gonna do a little bit a little bit of a thing here at the end, and I, I warned you, I didn't give you any specifics. We're gonna throw some rapid fire questions at you that you didn't necessarily prepare for. Uh, so according to Kyle and I's Wikipedia research primary rival for Louisiana tech is miss uh, Southern miss, right? Is that, is that accurate?
2: Yeah. For right now it, it's tech is one of those weird situations where they have had a lot of conference turnover and change conferences a lot. So it, there isn't, there isn't a tra- a obvious arch rival like Texas has with OU or with A&M, but f- within conference USA, Southern miss definitely has been that, that big rival.
0: Okay. So it'll, it'll serve our purposes. So, off the top of your head, I I'd, I'd like for you to to dig down deep, and if you could come up with one nice thing to say about Southern Miss, if you had to say one nice thing about Southern Miss,
2: what would you say? <laughs> they produced Brett Favre. I guess I got to give him that. <laughs> that's fair. We I love did, it. it. It's Terry Bradshaw, though. So well, the,
1: you know, and and that's what I was going to ask because the real great rivalry here. If you had to pick. If your school could only have one alumni, you couldn't have both. Would you keep Terry Bradshaw or Duck Dynasty founder Phil Robertson?
2: <laughs> oh, boy. Um, you know, you got to love Phil Robertson, but he didn't win four Super Bowls. So I'll, I'll give it to Terry. And,
1: and, and I did not actually know until Googling in preparation for this that Terry Bradshaw actually backed him up for – uh, at least one season yeah that's that's wild I knew they I knew that he played football I didn't realize he held Terry Bradshaw off the field so good on you Phil
2: Phil Robertson actually had an offer to play in the NFL but you know the, obviously a reality show is going to be partially scripted but no he 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 is as redneck as he comes across and he wanted to go hunting so
1: <laughs> respect to him I, I
0: I don't even know what to say to that and to be honest with you when I I've watched a cumulative like maybe three hours of Duck Dynasty, and it happened to be one of the times we was talking about Terry Bradshaw, and I did not believe it. So that's I'm glad that it wasn't just Phil being being an idiot. So um, one more one more question. So Kyle and I, big pop culture fans here, and we want to get a feel of Louisiana football. And um, Bobby Boucher is is probably one of the greatest athletes to come out of the state of Louisiana. No, I'm just joking, but if you had to pick like. So in the film he played for what South Central Louisiana State, right? Is that the is that the Supply. the notes? The mud so, the mud dogs. The mud okay. So if you had to uh pick a actual Louisiana team for him to uh to sign on to or to play for, where do you where where do you feel like he would fit in?
2: You mean like a like a real school? Yeah. Oof. Hmm. You know, it would really help if I'd actually seen that movie.
1: Oh man. <laughs> okay. Well uh they, I'll say this. I think they're they're probably the South Central would would you know would say that it, it may not be up in Ruston up north. Uh, or South they...
2: Central sounds kind of like UL Lafayette, or maybe, okay. uh, or maybe if you want to go a little further southwest, you got uh, McNeese State, who's an FCS school, and like
1: ooh, that's actually that's a good one. I've been there. I've been to McNeese.
2: Oh, really? Yeah. So you got the McNeese State Cowboys. You've got uh. the ULL Raging Cajuns. Yeah, it'd probably be probably one of them maybe okay. you
1: are. I like that um, all right and I, and I and I'll just end on this one I know we, we said that's the last one but I do have to check I, I referenced it earlier the Sugar Bowl win your mascot uh, is the bulldog handsome fella um, but I just want to make sure if you're bringing him to the game did did you see what happened to Uga when he got too close to Bevo in the Sugar Bowl and are you concerned
2: Oh uh, I mean, i understand the idea of hey let's have these mascots you know have a little photo op but when one of them could eat the other whole, maybe we want to reconsider that uh that particular plan there
0: (laughs) do do they have any specific safety measures that you've heard of that if they're going to bring because i i'm an animal lover and so like i don't want to see anybody hurt in this situation like do you know of any safety precautions that they're trying to to implement
1: does he have a handler or anything at least yeah
2: yeah he there's there's usually uh I'm not sure exactly how they work it all out. I think SGA is involved with it somehow, but they've got dedicated people who uh, who handle him, and he's he's extremely spoiled from what I've heard. Like they they feed him nice. from their hands, and nice. he, ev- if that was a child, he'd be a devil child because they <laughs> he's super spoiled. It's ridiculous, but you know, it's life as a mascot. That's right. <laughs> I love it.
0: So, uh, on that high note, Tanner, if the folks want more of you or some Louisiana Tech uh, coverage, where can they find you on the internet?
2: So, uh, our website is underdogdynasty.com. It's just it's like you guys, just under the SB Nation umbrella, so shouldn't be too hard to find for, uh, for your listeners and your readers. Uh, as for me, I'm on Twitter, at Tanner Spearman, just, just my name, so pretty easy to find there as well. We also follow Underdog Dynasty at Underdog Dynasty. Yeah,
0: Tanner's got this cool little animated uh, profile picture. Like I, I thought that was cool. Like I'm kind of, kind of jealous, and I'm trying to figure out how I get one of those. Tanner, thank you so much for, uh, for carving out uh, 30 minutes to hang out with us.
2: Thank you for having me. It's a lot of fun. All right, take it easy, man.
0: Sticking with football news, Texas head coach Tom Herman got his contract extended for two years heading through the 2023 football season, which is crazy to think that that is only four seasons from now. Kyle, time marches forward at an alarming rate. Uh, so let's, <laughs> look, let's take a look back at. I guess the last two years under Tom Herman, when he took over, Texas was coming off of missing a bowl game and losing to Kansas uh, in dramatic and heartbreaking fashion. Yep. Fast forward two years, Texas, 10-win team, New Year's Six Bowl win over Georgia, a team that was allegedly, at least to their accounting via Twitter, uh, supposed to be in the college football playoff. This really shows that the athletic staff, you know, Crystal Conti has a ton of faith in Herman. So what does, what does he still need to do in your eyes to, continue to prove that he's worth uh, the money and the time that they're investing in him.
1: He's 17 and 10. If you just zoom out and and don't think about anything, he's 17 and 10 in two seasons, which is a, which is a fine start. You know, it it certainly is not um, the average where we want to be at, but he's won two bowl games since he's been here. Uh, He secured the bag against Mizzou. He's um, beaten every SEC team that's been put in front of him. Um, you know that those are the types of things you want to see. He's he's one of two coaches last year who could say they beat two teams that finished in the top ten at the end of the season with a win over um, both OU and, and Georgia. So I mean he's doing what he needs to. Um, I mean a guy who who can win a lot of games, but even then the mo has been that Tom can win the big ones. I think the thing that we want to see change if is if you you are one of the the you know most handsomely paid coaches in the country is that you don't have. Any kind of crazy Maryland's, you don't have any Tulsa, you know, heart attacks. Um, you you not only get up and, and play for the big games, but that you come in and, and you kind of put Texas at that place, the sweet spot, the Mac Brown years, where you you know won some of those early season games against the teams that you clearly just have more talent than, and, and you should win um, handily. You, you get to play your guys by the you know the the beginning of the second drive of the third quarter, you have your second or third string in there once tom herman has that program then we'll say yeah tom herman was worth every penny uh and then some and and we'll see we'll see what this year looks like obviously we're talking in the off season but uh but yeah i mean i think he's earned it with his big wins with with you know a, a new year's uh win against one of the better teams in the country last year um with beating ou um in in the red river shootout and and hopefully making that a tradition he's he's done the things i think to deserve this now it's just What's that next step?
0: Yeah, and I mean you mentioned his record currently, you know, seventeen and ten. Texas was what, eleven and fourteen mm-hmm. under the previous like the previous two years of Charlie Strong. So, I mean, the proof is in the pudding a little bit there. I Texas was competitive for a conference championship this year. I need Texas to win its first conference championship since Mac Brown was on the sidelines and he had a guy named Colt McCoy. Like it's been a decade since Texas won an uh, uh, conference championship. OU's basically dominated the conference since. And so I think he showed that he can beat him in Dallas, but can you beat them in the bigger stadium in the Dallas Fort Worth Metroplex, right? Can you right. can you come away with not just the golden hat, but can you come away with a Big Twelve championship? And I think that's the thing for me. I mean background won too and people hail Mac Brown at least before the last few years of his tenure as one of the top coaches in, in Texas football history, right? Am mm-hmm. I like that's not speaking out of turn. Now, yeah. before that, it was John Makovic in 96. So there was like a nine year span between when, you know, Texas won a Big 12 championship and their next Big 12 championship. Mac Brown happened to have two of the greatest quarterbacks in school history. So I want to see if Tom Herman can do it and continue to do it without a transcendent talent. Like, can you just, can you just coach, right? can you just and, and I think he can. I think he's the guy. I'm not um you know, I'm not the Colin Cowherd. I think he's the next Nick Saban because that's a ridiculous take at least at this point, but I do think that for me I I need this to not be a flash in the pan. I need this to be if you're not outright winning it, you are competing for it year in and year out.
1: Yeah, I, I like this new tradition in the new Big 12 where we play OU twice a season every season. We play them once in the Cotton Bowl, once in Jerry World. Um, and, you know, let's let's win better than 50% of all of those. You know, let's take a couple Big 12s, let's take a couple well, – I mean, let's win – all of them, sure, but you know what I mean. Legitimately, realistically, let's make sure we're better than 50%, and let's play them twice a year. The expectation should be that whoever else is good in the Big 12, hey, maybe OU starts to go down, but UT is there playing in that game as long as there is a you know a two-team conference championship game. Uh, that needs to be the goal, that Texas is one of those two teams.
0: There's one thing that I think at least most of... Texas and OU fans can agree on is that the conference is better when Texas and OU are at the, are competing for the top and OU isn't just sitting at the top. Uh, So one thing that may come in handy for Texas to do that uh, is its defensive back. So we're going to move on to our next uh, team preview or positional preview and jump in on the defensive back. So um, Texas going to be an interesting look in Mm -hmm. 2019 They return their two starters at safety, Brandon Jones, Caden Stearns, both coming off of off-season surgeries. I think they both knew they didn't really have a ton to prove in the spring, so they wanted to uh, focus on health rather than uh, that off-season, which, again, get those guys healthy. But the cornerbacks are going to be the big question. I think Chris Boyd and P.J. Locke are both graduating. Texas has, uh, the last two years, recruited pretty lights out. At the defensive back position. So, Kyle, I think the biggest question or the first question we start with is, do you think these young guys can grow up as fast as they need to in order to compete in a Big 12 conference that's going to test them week in and week out?
1: I mean, I think you split this, even though we're talking about one position into two positions here. I think um, at the safety position, which we've talked about many times in a Todd Orlando defense is almost... um, your most important position on the field for what they're asked to do for the safety position. I think we have um, enough returning talent that I have no question marks in my mind about, you know, Lord willing, and no injuries about what we're going to get production wise, at least at a, at a, at a floor, at a baseline, I think the ceiling uh, to see how exactly good, because I mean, Caden Stern, do you want to talk about a kid who um, the big 12 freshman, you know, player of the year, just a a kid who um, on various multiple, games you know no matter the opponent um was the the best player on the defense and sometimes the best player on the field when going against all-american caliber uh players in the opposition so i mean he he has the potential I, i've said it here before and i don't think it's sacrilegious to be the next earl thomas like i think he i think he legitimately can have a pro bowl nfl career um and, and i think you know it's 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 saying nothing to say that i'm speaking of branding brandon Jones in the the second position in this slot uh when talking about a two position uh or a two-player position because Stearns can be that good but I do think that Brandon Jones um I think back to that that play he had a goal line uh tackle against USC where he just accelerated downhill all the way from from across to stop a touchdown that you know basically turned the tide of the USC game he can be a difference maker a game changer on defense and so I think Jones obviously isn't a young guy. Stearns doesn't play like a young guy um, and I think if you just look at those two and that's we'll get to b j. Foster as well, but just looking at those two, then no, I think there's absolutely no question on whether they can step up and continue d b u continue you know the legacy and foundation of n f l players kind of honing their craft for long outstanding careers at the next level while on the forty acre
0: I think my big question at at the safety spot is. Can the can the defense be configured in such a way where Caden Stearns does what he's best at? Because I think we saw a little bit last year. There were some growing pains um, in coverage, in specific when he was called to have to, to be in man on man coverage roles. He struggled a little bit, and that's again true freshman, right? He was playing against again freshman or not freshman, but high school athletes the last time he laced them up. But when he's able to float and be a playmaker and kind of play center field in much of the same way that most of these guys that you talk about in rarefied air at Texas as safeties, you know, your your Kenny Vaccaro's, your Earl Thomas's, like those guys that kind of can play center field, come up and run support and be there to make the big pass play. Like that's what he does really well. So hopefully the guy, you know, he's able to do that. I mean, we know what, what B.J. brings to the table. And and when I say B.J., i got to be careful there. Brandon Jones, not B.J. Foster. We also know what B.J. Foster mm. brings to the table because right. he played a ton this last year, Um, I guess toward the back end of the year because of injuries and because of, you know, Jones had an injury, Stearns had an injury, so he got a lot of time. And the guy, you didn't see a ton of drop-off when, when B.J. Foster came on the field. So, I, again, I think the safety position, and that's part of why I glossed over it a little bit in the intro, is like... I I have zero questions about the safety spot other than can we run a three safety package and get Stearns, Brandon Jones, and B.J. Foster on the field at the same time.
1: Or even a four safety. Like one of the things that I'm curious about is is a is is a six defensive back set. Is Texas going to be the revolutionary team that makes that something of a base set? Like, I mean, I, I think, and, and we'll jump into the cornerbacks here in just a moment. But I think you have some combination of Anthony Cook, Jalen Green, and maybe Kobe Boyce um, at that cornerback spot. And then you obviously, you know, Stearns and Jones, B.J. Foster, kind of are your three safeties. I think who are going to be on the field whether it's Nickelback Joker, however you do it. And then I think some combination of Overshow and Josh Thompson. Um, I mean, Chris Brown in there somewhere, those guys are going to see the field and they're going to see the field a lot and they deserve it. They're really good. I mean, you throw either of Josh Thompson and Marion Overshone in a starting lineup anywhere in the conference and that team feels good about that player. And that's a guy who's trying to get on the field for Texas, which I think is, you know, is a statement of how healthy and how deep um, this position pool is. Like, I, I mean, I really think how many we have on there in any given play i i think it's going to be very rare that you ever see 4d D-back, d-backs only um maybe some kind of goal line packages or whatever um but but i really truly think you know it's 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 going to be the exception and not the rule when you have kind of the traditional old school football defensive backfield using quotes here where it's four four players of two cornerbacks two safeties
0: as soon as conference play starts if you're not playing not even Kansas State would be the one normally, but maybe Iowa State, depending on what they line up in this year, and even Iowa State may change because they're down at David Montgomery. So, right, I think for po- probably eight to nine Big Twelve games, they open up with at least five defensive backs on the field. Mm-hmm. Which again, mm-hmm. this defensive backfield is so talented that you're going to have the opportunity to redshirt two top 100 recruits coming in or top yep. 150 yep. recruits coming in, right? Like you've yep. got Tyler Owens who in any other year, you're like, let's find a spot for that guy on the field. And you're like, yeah. nah, fam, yeah. just red shirt this year and, and enjoy go- growing into your grown man body because you can just do that now.
1: Can I tell you my Tyler Owens dream scenario? I do want him to be able to register. That would be great because I think he's got a long career at safety. But my dream scenario is that he's a special teams All-American. They just put him at kickoff and punt Gunner and just let him be a, like, actual, like, you know, truck out there that gets Head to hunter, drive down. say it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, seriously, like, the guy just could be the all-time greatest gunner headhunter in the history of football. Like, he's so big, so fast, and just looks so mean that, I mean, I want to see how he plays in defense, but, like, I could see them not redshirting him just for, you know, the fact of of, like, special teams is the most undervalued, position group and unit across the country it's not a UT thing I mean obviously we take it seriously with our kickers and punters but the coverage everything I mean that's the third ass part of the game the third you know frontier uh he's good enough that he could be a special teams game changer without even being the guy who touches the ball so I, I could see that's my dream dream scenario there but yeah I mean then you have guys like Kenyatta Watson and Mark uh, Marcus Caldwell who, who again on, on any other Big 12 team, any other team in the conference are coming in and they're impact freshmen who get worked immediately into the rotation. But they're guys who, again, I think both of them could factor in, could play, um, but, you know, probably will we'll maybe even get under the four-game mark where you could see one of them uh, getting a getting a redshirt or will be special teams contributors more than, more than you know, every-down players.
0: You, you say any other Big 12 school. Texas a year ago or two years ago, probably plays Tyler Owens and Kenyatta Watson. Like those Mm -hmm. two guys are really freaking good at football. And Mm -hmm. the fact that this defensive backfield is bloated sounds like a bad, when you hear the word bloated, it sounds really negative, has a negative connotation, but there's just so much here. Like, you're going to get to redshirt these guys. These guys are going to get to take their time. And then, again, when Brandon Jones graduates, Foster steps up. Foster and yep. Stearns at safety is, like, really incredible. And then you've got to guy like, Overshown and Tyler Owens, who has a redshirt freshman, is going to back up Overshown. So, like, the, the recruiting dividends from these last two defensive backfield classes, yep. uh, two years ago, Texas went both wide and deep. And then Mm -hmm. this year, Texas just said, okay, we're going to take the top three or four guys in the defensive backfield uh, and got them. And so I'm interested to see uh, how they manage all of that talent because it's an embarrassment of riches. And I think being able to rotate safeties and rotate corners and not see a drop off in talent or production like, that is the biggest win of the Tom Herman era thus far.
1: Yeah, and we've talked a lot about safeties. Nickels kind of non-traditional players because it's the most interesting because you don't have to stick to rigidity in positions. But, I mean, at the end of the day, you're going to have a field side and a and a short side cornerback, and they're going to play. And in Texas, just put two of those in the NFL, and we have to talk about the fact of who's going to step up and do that. I do think that there are different looks and different attacks that can, that can do that. But like I, I mentioned earlier, I think um, – Anthony Cook and Jalen Green are our kind of uh, front runners right now to the clubhouse leaders to be uh, the guys who start the first game out, you know, at the cornerback position. And I know you really like Cook. I've been banging the drum for Jalen Green since the guy stepped foot on campus. I'm really stinking excited. Um, And I think you can use those two as a way for this entire defensive back to kind of sum it up. Um, I think... The the this is what I've been telling people when they ask me just kind of in passing what do I think of this season um, and I think a lot of the team will will follow this it's the in week one the floor is going to be lower than it was you know in week thirteen last year the ceiling is higher but the floor is going to be lower you're just bringing in new players um, you're you're replacing a lot of talent a lot of experience you're replacing NFL talent I don't know that by week thirteen this year. The floor won't be pretty dang level with again an even higher ceiling. I think this defensive back unit specifically, and again you can take that to the entire defense, extrapolating it, could be better than last year's. I mean, you look at you look at 2017; they led led the nation in non-offensive touchdowns in general, um, but they did then in 2018 take take a step back from that, take a step back uh, against the run and, and on third down defense. So I mean, Todd Orlando is is not a a guy who doesn't know what his problems are. If he has, you know, a package to basically rectify some of those things, he gets a little bit better about getting off the field. Then I think you could kind of instantly see that this defense has the, has the shape, has the feel, has the look of a unit that, you know, and and led from the back that, that could be better. Like I said, by the end of this year than they were last year.
0: Yeah. And I think this Todd Orlando defense really thrives well when you're able to uh, put a guy on an Island, and have one of your corners back, cornerbacks lock him down. And I think the beautiful thing about the corners, both uh, you know Cook and Green, is that either one of them could be that guy, right? Yeah. Like you saw how effective it was two years ago when Holton Hill would just lock up a team's best receiver, and then the other 10 guys can focus, right? The other four guys in the defensive backfield can cover three receivers. So, like, you're always able to have a safety over the top. You're always able to do these things. So, I think that the fact that Anthony Cook could be that guy, Jalen Green could be that guy. Like, either one of those guys, you can stick them on someone and be like, hey, lock them down. Just lock them down and we'll handle the rest of it. And both of them, I think... Fa- uh, not not compare favorably at all. That's the wrong verbiage. But both of them are guys that have the bodies. They're both physical. I think both Green and Cook flashed a bit in the spring game. I think mm-hmm. uh, Jalen Green was way more physical than I anticipated him being in the spring game. Yep. Um, just ran through one of the biggest receivers in the conference, right? Uh, on a couple yeah. of plays. So, um, I'm really really high on the corners and I think again this is a unit that if it lives up to that ceiling right that you mentioned if it lives up to that ceiling it has the the capability to propel this Texas team to a conference championship.
1: Yeah, I mean if if they become the defense that that scores points, if they become the defense that gets the ball back to an explosive offense, then you know that this this could be what this this group is is kind of known for. And I, and there's a couple names we haven't even touched and I don't know that they are going to be guys who you know, we're going to be calling out their name a ton. But I mean, last year at this time, Kobe Boyce was a name that people were basically saying, oh yeah, he's a, he's a you know, copy and paste replacement for, you know, the the Devontae Davis and Chris Boyd type production, you know, uh, where they were in, in their, their freshman, sophomore year. Like they just kind of said, Kobe Boyce will be that guy. Um, he, I hate to say, had a tough year last year, um, had a couple plays where he, I think, didn't, Quite live up to that, but uh, you know, coaches have been high on him. Coach has been really high on Deshaun Jameson, a guy who was a receiver last year, just as a an incredible athlete, and and for the fact that you know they are pretty committed to him playing defensive back, even as as crowded as that field is. Says he's showing something. It's a guy who they raved a lot about in the practices leading up to the spring game, um, and then of course you have Montrell Estelle, Donovan uh, Duvernay, who are who are guys we mentioned Chris Brown briefly earlier, who are all guys who again like they're they're depth chart guys maybe this year, but if any of those three get on the field it's not going to kill you they're all guys who can hopefully rotate in and by the end of the year just give you that truly supreme depth that you know someone's going to get nicked up at some point there's going to be an injury someone's going to have you know a, a half suspension someone's going to have a something and there's going to have to be an x man up mentality and this is a group that i think is is utterly primed to be able to do that and again to lead not only the defense, but the team from the back, and and kind of be the, uh, the 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 pace setters for for this year's team.
0: And and you mentioned it in a negative light with injuries and suspensions and whatever. It could just be a hey, you've been covering Denzel Mims for a full quarter. Sure, let me take over. Right, sure. like I think that that is the advantage of this. It's not. It is the depth for when you know the the unforeseen things that always happen every football season happen. But the simple fact that this is a conference that. Produces the best receivers in the nation I'll go ahead and put myself out there Like Big Mm -hmm. 12 receivers are Big 12 receivers And so the fact that you can Have any of these cornerbacks come in And probably play man-to-man With the required and desired level of competence Is a good thing And an incredible thing to fall back
1: on Yeah, so just wanted to give a quick uh, DBU Since we're talking about it This is the time to, to, to bang our chest In the last 15 years Uh, no team has even within 30 starts of the university of texas of nfl starts 769 starts since 2004 for the longhorns um you know lsu who claims to be dbu is at 727 so you know quite a bit down there um five first round picks in that time nine pro bowlers i mean they this is dbu you can't argue that this this is the team um that you know does it at all levels. Um, does it at college and does it at the pros? And I think we just mentioned a whole bunch of names who are going to continue making Texas the uh, the, the, the Joneses, especially, specifically, where the universities of defensive backs are, are concerned.
0: You can argue it. You can be wrong, <laughs> but you can argue it, Right. <laughs> Right. Anybody, anybody that's married knows you can argue it and you can be wrong. Like those are not mutually (laughs) exclusive, Uh, but we'll move on. Uh, Men's golf. Number five, Texas men's golf finished fourth as a team. This is a, this is the weirdest thing in the world. So the first part of the NCAA golf tournament is an individual event, but the cumulative scores determine who goes into the match play uh, collegiate championship. So, the individual national championship has been crowned from Oklahoma state. Congratulations. Uh, But Texas finished fourth out of all of the teams. So the top eight advance to the, the two day match play tournament. So they will take on number five, Oklahoma to open up the match play portion of the tournament Wednesday. Like no days off. Like you just, just saddle up and go. So golf continues to have one heck of a season, right? And Texas is really cleaning up in these in these fall, these kind of spring marquee sports.
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. I think, uh, I mean, Texas is the only school to advance to this stage that they're in now, uh, The la- six of the last seasons. No other school has done that. Illinois didn't make it this year. They were the only other one um, in, in five of the last seven coming into this year. Um, I mean, this, this is uh, Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. are are, you know really 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 good teams texas has been playing them all year three of the top five teams were from the uh were from the big 12 uh in the ncaa championship so this is the i mean it's the golf conference so texas has been vetted uh the one thing that you look at here is texas has a lot of youth they're probably the youngest team certainly at this point in the field left out of the top eight they may have been the youngest team or very close to it that made it to the championships at all they rely you know with Cole Hammer uh, and a couple other freshmen and I think they have just one uh, senior on this team so this is where you see um, to kind of say the men separate from the boys uh, if those kids who are 18 years old who you know Again, last year were, you know, pimple faced and, and no, no, these guys are. They're all handsome devils. But, you know, heading, heading to prom, nervous with sweaty palms. There you go. Uh,
0: that's, that's, <laughs> the, that's what I was hoping for. My favorite. This guy <laughs> should be at prom right now.
1: That's right. They're a year the removed. And, and, and if, <laughs> if they can, if they can truly keep the fortitude they've shown all year, again, especially Cole Hammer, who's led the team as a freshman, um, then there's no reason they can't, uh, they can't knock Oklahoma out of this in match play uh, and, and keep on going uh, into, into Wednesday. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, this, this is, they're well-placed. They're in the top eight. Congratulations, Coach Fields. Uh, I covered the golf team when I was uh, in school and, and Coach Fields has been there for a long time I think 22 seasons uh, is a fantastic, unbelievable coach. And just, uh, continues to have this team ready for each step, each challenge they come. So I, I have I have no uh, no doubt that they're gonna be they're gonna be up for this one. It just just helps that you he get a little little red river rivalry tinge to it.
0: The the series, the season series with OU has been back and forth. So if you look at like the fall, is the golf season we've established on this podcast is weird, right? They have the mm. fall season, then they take a break and then they have the spring season where most of the championships happen. So Texas won the Big Twelve match play tournament in October. So they beat Oklahoma State, OU in the match play tournament. Then, fast forward to a month ago, or I guess rewind to a month ago, depending on which perspective you're looking at it from. And Oklahoma State won the conference tournament by 15 strokes. Texas right. was tied with OU at two over for the weekend. So um, it's going to be interesting. And I think, again, making it to the last eight schools is an accomplishment. In and of itself. Right. And like you said, I think if Texas is able to advance at least one more, it feels really good to, to end the season, even if that's your last win to beat OU in the in the NCAA <laughs> tournament. Now, again, it's going to take some effort. OU is an incredible golf club, but I'm really excited to see and the future of this team. Now, golf is another one of those sports where players will, you know, go go pro a little bit earlier than. Uh, then they're four years. So it may not be a four year guarantee, but this could be a team that's productive for quite a long time. And I'm excited to see it now to the women's links. Uh, the Texas women finished their season ranked number one in the poll after they flat dominated the stroke play portion of the women's tournament by seven strokes, get that seven strokes. Texas placed four in the top 10 individually at the championship round. Same way they switched over to the match play side uh, and dropped an unfortunate contest to the Auburn Tigers to be eliminated from the tournament. But finishing the season as the number one ranked team, it, it may not be the national championship, May not get to host the tro- hoist the trophy, Um but that speaks to how good this mm-hmm. golf season has been overall for the ladies,
1: and, and, and like the men's team, there's a lot of lot of youth coming back. I mean, this is the start of it. Te- this is their best uh, finish since 2003. So I mean, it's 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 been a minute. I mean, the, the Texas golf program has had some really really great uh, women's teams as well. But I mean, this has a chance to be something special because uh, they had three golfers who uh, who today were, were named to the Women's Golf Coach Association First Team All American um, sophomore. Caitlin Papp and and sophomore Agatha Lasney, but also freshman Haley Cooper. Again, three All-Americans, two sophomores, one freshman. That bodes well for year number two with all those people back. Again, that would be two juniors and a sophomore, uh, and and then year number three where all three of those those players are still there. So they, um, you know, even though they, I'm sure they're they're heartbroken that they were in such a great position in in the lead and number one in the stroke play that uh, it didn't carry over. They did lose uh, two matches to three, I guess I'll say it that way. And one of them went to extra holes. It was decided on the 20th um, after being tied through 18. So match play is a tough beast. Um, You have to mentally be there. You have to beat your opponent almost shot for shot throughout the entire 18 holes. Um, You know, it's, it's, it's tough. And, and like I said, I think they, uh, they just, just narrowly lost out on that, but uh, nothing to hang the head about it in an incredible season for the ladies.
0: Speaking of another incredible season for the ladies with nothing to hang your head on, uh, the Texas softball team headed to the super regionals hosted by the Alabama crimson tide. Um, and it was uh, kind of a two unstoppable forces, you know, the unstoppable force and movable object thing. Um, Somebody had to lose this one. Unfortunately, the Texas, the ladies, the Texas ladies were on their losing end. They fell 2-1 in the Super Regional Thursday. They were shut out. Alabama pitcher Montana Fouts, which incredible name by the way, uh, pitched an absolute gem to open the se- the series. Uh, complete game, three hits, five uh, strikeouts. Friday, Texas came back. Um, Mary Copo. Kyle, one of Kyle's favorites, right? Three-run home run in the bottom of the third, uh, which was just incredible, and uh, MK Tedder soloed in the next inning to tie it up. Saturday, eight to five. Unfortunate, Texas could have gotten out of an inning and gave up some unearned runs to kind of put them in a deficit. Uh, so looking back on this season, Kyle, we knew that that well, we thought that it may be a bit of a getting to know you season with mm-hmm. uh, with coach White and that very clearly was not the case so looking back on the season from your expert opinion like what are your thoughts feelings of uh, of what Texas did in year one of the the Mike White
1: era uh, just an incredible year um, an incredible year where I think you know we talked about this with coach Pierce and the baseball team that I think they overachieved I think they finished the season better you know they could have won really any of those three games they did win Friday but you know a couple of things go different uh, they they could have won they could have won they could have been going on they're that close and Alabama has just as much chance as anyone to go out and win a national championship this year um, you know it, it's going to be it's going to be interesting to watch where that finishes the next year but just to just an incredible season from them. I mean, they played one of the toughest strength of schedules this year. They have a first-year new coach and coach Coach White. Um, some of the players who came with him from Oregon uh, integrating into the Longhorn program. Um, you have a, a team that's been good. They have not been bad, but they have not been the Cat Osterman glory years of you know three consecutive College World Series appearances. Just just you know un- unbelievably uh, tough to beat. You know in those years they they were team's knees shook when they saw texas on the schedule i think that is what he's establishing again is that in the sport i mean oklahoma has been that for 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 a few years they have been the 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 boogeyman who you know when you have to play him it's like oh gosh that oklahoma softball team is so good i think you're gonna see that you're gonna see texas with a lot of these players coming back um again the the leading era in the country was texas's number two pitcher freshman uh, caitlin o'leary i mean i think in in Miranda Ellis, you have uh, you have a pitcher who's you know who's special who who. Those two are, are going to are gonna do some incredible things next year. I think you have Iacopa coming back. You have a lot of the positional players. Janae Jefferson, who's you know could be an All-American, she's so stinking good at second base, um, is a sophomore. You forget that because she has been getting three hits a game since last year, the day she stepped on campus. She's a sophomore. There's a lot of talent who's young on this team, which is why I say I feel like they, they overachieved. There was a lot of freshmen who came in and played, a lot of sophomores who made a step up, a lot of transfers who came in and, and kind of acquiesced right away. Um, so like I said, I, I would be very curious to see you know if there's any transfers this year, if there's any um, kind of uh, other players who come in because obviously you don't just get to bring four of Oregon's best with you every year. Um, but you know he's now recruiting like he did at Oregon, where he brought some of the best players there. He's now recruiting, bringing people into this program, so it's only going to keep going up and up. I think the the you know the crazy stat when they played Alabama was was Coach White in regional games was 30 and one versus Alabama's coach who was 30 and o all time when they met. Um, you know, so it's, it's, uh, it's really, really good. It's the Texas is certainly in the halves of the college softball landscape, and they're going to be a fun team to watch next season. Um, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm, Thrilled to have spent as much time, cracked my neck and dug into the softball spear as many sphere as many times as I did this season and, and praised uh, what I think was was an incredible team who had an incredible run in um, just a season that, that you know I, I, I will uh, I will be applauding for you know weeks and months to come
0: I love it on that note I think it's a good dovetail into uh, this week's edition of Downing the 40 our championship microbrew edition part. Two So Texas track and field had a field day, could not avoid that pun at all, Uh, finished the West (laughs) prelims with 20 athletes qualifying for the NCAA championships and nine school records falling in their efforts. Like, I don't know what else to say. Like, I'm running out of platitudes about how good uh, Texas is program wide.
1: I mean, that's a good problem to have. As, as professional uh, speakers of word, um, when, when we get to the point, and we're very verbose, bombastic gentlemen, um, I'm proving that point now. When we get to a point where it's like, how do we say that Texas is just real good everywhere? That's good. The getting is good. Thanks, Delcante.
0: Love it, love it. So, uh, rowing, getting ready for the NCAA championships this weekend. Those will kick off on, I believe, Friday. So, get excited for that. Uh, Texas had a program best third place finish last year. So, hopefully, they will be able to beat that, top that this year. Uh, so, after piloting the Texas Longhorns to a NCAA Uh, Division one championship the reason why the tower be lit fam Uh, Bruce Burke is officially been named the Texas men's tennis coach he officially just shedded the interim status he was the interim coach for the year and now Del Conte gets it right yet again and gives him that. Uh, gives him that official title.
1: Yeah, I mean Bruce, the greatest Burke since Doris. Uh, no one, no one, uh, deserved this more. Like I said, the thirty for thirty they one day make on this team is going to be fantastic. And what a great job he did to keep the players' eyes on the prize, and they got there. So, like I said, Towers no- orange today. In fact, on Monday when you're listening to this Tuesday when we're recording Monday, but uh, Bruce, congratulations.
0: We're we're really long today, but I'm just going to go with this anyways. Who's your narrator for the thirty for thirty? Like what? Who's going to narrate the Texas Tennis Thirty for Thirty?
1: I mean, so I mean, it's Texas, so the very obvious choice is that it's McConaughey. I think, I, I think, I think that's like who, unfortunately, gets all. While we are part of the Burn Orange media, that is the conspiracy. We would love to do it. Shout out. I don't even know who's ESPN. It's not John Skipper anymore. Whoever's that at ESPN, you know me. Uh, shout out! I'm throwing my hat in the ring, but I'm sure it's McConaughey. But I just, you know, I would like to, I would like to offer up another uh, dark horse. You saw him, I believe, at the Texas Spring game. You've seen him at multiple games and practices on the sideline. Um, because of the fact that they rose from the, uh, I mean, I guess Twitter uh, dead. I would say that noted Longhorn fanatic, the Undertaker.
0: Okay, I like it. See, I was gonna go. I was gonna go a little, a uh, little left field in mind. So I like, I like the Undertaker. I was gonna go the Pride of San Saba, Texas, Tommy mm. Lee Jones.
1: Ooh, what a if voice! If he's alive
0: too. when this happens, I'm just saying, the man of the house himself.
1: I was just about to say, yeah, he, he brought down the house and man of the house. I I totally yeah I, those are all great choices.
0: It's it's going to be McConaughey, though. There's no th- – if it happens, McConaughey's the choice. Uh, so, uh, Texas baseball lands uh, one on the All-Big 12 team. Uh, sophomore Bryce Elder, five made honorable mentions. Lance Ford, Blair Henley, Eric Kennedy, Ryan Reynolds, and Zach Zubia. So – Uh, Not quite as many names as we're used to seeing on the All-Big 12 teams, but still good to have Texas represented on the list.
1: That's right. Uh, We'll talk maybe a little baseball next week with the, the MLB draft happening. Um, early next week, I think starts on Monday. We may have some some topical news, but uh, yeah, good to see in an otherwise bad year, someone got a little recognition, and we'll we'll talk about how we can build on it in the future.
0: Absolutely, Eric Kennedy was also named to the All Freshman Team, so that's another win. Uh, Texas Divers took the combined team and women's team title uh, in the 2019 USA Diving Nationals uh, that were held. They literally just ended yesterday, or I guess Sunday yesterday time a recording. Um the Longhorns secured eight medals throughout the week long competition, which is again, Texas swimming and diving is one that you never really have to look too far uh to find accomplishments for.
1: Yeah, USA diving is 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 big, you know, that's um that's all all levels of competitor. Uh, they had two players, Murphy Bromberg and, and Alison Gibson qualify to represent team USA, uh, not just, you know, UT, but the, the national team at the world championships in South Korea um, in July. So awesome stuff for the, uh, for the divers. They continue to uh, be the creme de la creme.
0: And that's the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions at all of college athletics, big Bertha. And we bang the drum brought to you by Joe, Rui. So Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week?
1: Huh, well I'm gonna bang the drum on, on the the scourge of East Texas. There's a little town, if you keep driving past anywhere that you've ever heard of, and you keep going past there, take a left, go down the dirt road, um, and you eventually end up at Mount Vernon High School. And this is no shouts to my boy Andrew Solomon, uh, who's from Mount Vernon. I think he's the only one I might offend specifically uh, who, who attended such a school. But Mount Vernon. Plays a little football, I guess. Not particularly well. They're they're in Class 3A. Um, I think I, I told you before the show, I've gone back, and since 1950, they've had five 10-win seasons. Nothing you would necessarily need to know about on a, on a sports podcast. Uh, specifically looking at football, they, they have been all right in a couple sports. But, um, I mean, they are a, a, a visionary leader in the education space. Um, their, their, uh, school board superintendent and, and board of, uh, geniuses, um, came out and talked about the, the steps that they are taking to really equip the students with success. The, you know, they, they're talking about the students and the benefit they can get from the, the skills and, and just not to bury the lead here of, of their new coaching hire, who I don't I actually, know how you pronounce his name. He's a coach who came from Italy, uh, coming off a hot four and six season in Italy this past year with Gulfe Ferrenze, um, and also you know the CFL where he was with the Hamilton Tiger Cats before they immediately fired him before he ever coached. Um, Art Briles, a name you may have heard of. Art Briles has been hired by Mount Vernon to run their program, but again. He is an educator. He is an employed person with the uh, under the guise, the auspices of, of educating, enriching, and shaping the lives of young men. I cannot think of a human being less qualified for that. Art Bryles is an unbelievable football coach. By all accounts, Art Bryles might be himself a pretty decent guy if you just meet him in an elevator. What Art Bryles hasn't shown a particularly good success uh, in history of is equipping when you put him in charge of a program the players to make the right choices and to do the right thing um again i played high school football some of my life lessons came from my coach i, I still think about things that coach Ferrar said i think about coach williams shout out to the new uh jets and rockets head coach congrats coach willie um these are people who made an indelible impact on my life on the man i am today years and years and decades later i am absolutely beside myself, that the young men who happen to live in Mount Vernon will not have that chance to get that type of sage, enriching life advice from their head coach. Unfortunately, they're hiring a man who has repeatedly turned his head and chose to do nothing. Um, a real fun read is the Pepper Hamilton report and the 17 to 19 accusations of sexual harassment and assault um, in which the coach you know, was turned a blind eye, rec- recruiting violations where uh, they enticed players with the opportunity to uh, to come on campus and engage in sex with the with the students. And and I don't want to get into the details. We all know this story. We've all heard it before. If you really want to read something discussing, read Jessica Luther's Texas Monthly article on this, which, you know, if you don't get a little stomach upset or tears in your eyes reading it, I don't know if you and I are cut from the same cloth. But I wish nothing but success to the players who go through that program. I am utterly shocked and i'm not shocked it it was bound to happen someone was going to be a gutless spineless low down no good dirty rotten scoundrel who gave him the chance i just feel terrible for the parents of everyone in that school who has to try to justify the fact that their son is going to line up and do the thing he loves play high school football under the tutelage of coach art Bryles. so for all those parents for all those kids who have to do it i'm sorry i wish you all the luck and success in life and i hope you uh You find all the leadership morals and and guidance um, from somewhere else.
0: One of the best lessons I got from our high school coaches is that winning football games is the least important thing you're ever going to do in your life. Like that was one of the lessons I got from them, right? Is like the man that you are and the man that you become is far more important than wins and losses, right? And those are men whose job security depended on wins and losses. And Mm. this choice Proves otherwise and actually teaches, in my mind, the exact opposite lesson, right? Forget about the man you're going to become. Let's go win some football games. So we'll we'll set that aside. You can tweet at us if you uh, have other opinions at Longhorn Republic. Feel free to use the hashtag Replies of Texas if you want to have that conversation. Uh, on a, I'm going to change gears a little bit, trying not to snap your necks a little bit with the switch, but I've got a couple of shorter bang the drums. Um, so one, we've kind of kept you up to date on the Darian Brown progress. Uh, if you don't know who Darian Brown was, Darian Brown was a um, highly sought after running back out of Georgia who was planning to play football at the University of Texas, had a, uh, a critical medical condition, had to be rushed to the hospital, had a part of his skull removed because his brain was swelling so badly. He walked across the stage this weekend. He had the opportunity to walk just months after remo- being, months removed from a massive life threat. Like they weren't sure if like, you know, and again, th- this was scary, right? Having a piece of your skull removed is a major deal. And the fact that, in May, he's walking across the stage getting his high school diploma. Is what life is all about, right? Like that's that's the important stuff in life that we were just alluding to. Uh, so, big ups to to Darian Brown. Congrats on the graduation! Uh, excited to watch your continued progression, um, and hopefully, you get to live your dreams wherever that may be. So good. Uh, going, young man. We are proud of you here at the Longhorn Republic.
1: Um, that you, thank you, Gerald. I needed some goodness. I needed some light in my life. Uh, there are, as you said, things more important than football, and that's that's a perfect example in a perfectly placed segue because uh, he's a kid who fills my heart with, with pride and joy and, and I mean again football is the least important thing um, but they he actually the, the latest I've heard is hopeful that you know he's going to come in and, and go to school in red shirt and, and see and maybe one day might wear pads and suit up uh, in, the, in the sometime future for, for the Longhorns which would just be icing on top of the cake you know this is already a, a win in itself
0: so my other bang the drum really quickly um, of the nine school records that were broken at the Uh, the uh, Western prelims for the NCAA championships. Uh, You may not know the name. Jonathan Jones broke uh, the school record with the 400 ran 400, I ran a 445 seconds, uh, which I don't, At this point in my life, I think it'd be 45 minutes For me to run a 400 Uh, But um, It's on a personal note for me Because he's also, uh, in that effort Broke the Barbados national record uh, That had stood for for About three decades now And if you don't know a little bit about my background I'm actually a first generation American on my dad's side Uh, My dad moved from Barbados uh, In 1972 Moved to New York City when he was 13 Um, And again for a better life for the American dream. Right. So it was just cool to see uh, a kid from like, I saw that. And I was like, Oh my gosh, like that's like Barbados, like Bayesian stand up. Like it's so exciting to see that. So big ups, banging the drum, Jonathan Jones breaking national records while wearing burnt orange. Uh, it was a weird convergence of worlds for me.
1: Hey, uh, Barbados has a population of 285,000 and they still have an incredible um, indelible impact on the world of culture, sport, and otherwise, obviously Rihanna, Um, but not entirely unrelated from the fact that your dad is from Barbados. I was excited to ask him a few weeks ago when I saw him about where I should go because I will be in Barbados like four weeks from now on my honeymoon. And so, you know, maybe I can scout while I'm there for the next Bayesian uh, track star and, and get him to come to the University of Texas, but uh, but yeah, I I'm excited for you. And and like I said, the only relation I have to Barbados is is spending some time in the future on their beautiful beaches. Uh, but yeah, that's that's a cool one, man. That's that's I I haven't stopped smiling since you told me that.
0: When you're there, eat some roti. It's it's incredible. It's basically <laughs> like a, a it's basically like a curry burrito. There's no other way to put it. It's yes. incredible. Uh, so that's in. all we've got for you uh, this week, Kyle. Where can the good folks find you on the internet?
1: Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Kyle Carpenter.
0: You can follow me on Twitter. I am at G H Goodrich. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. If you have some opinions, shoot us a, a tweet using the hashtag Replies of Texas, or you can tweet, or you can email us at LonghornRepublic at Gmail dot com. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week, and until next time, Hook them.
1: Hook at me freezing cold takes.